I really appreciate you being here, even though it's storming outside. <laughs> you know, Joan and I spent three and a half years in northern Idaho, beautiful place called Coeur d'Alene, suffering for the gospel as much as we could. It always fascinated me when places that don't usually get snow just shut down. You know, northern Idaho, we just go, right? If you live in Seattle, a little rain doesn't bother you. Our daughter and son will live up there, and they said, you know, if you wait till the rain stops up here, you don't ever get anything done. But in Southern California, I might get wet. It's like you might be afraid of shrinking or something. I could use some of that. But thanks be to God, you and I are here, and we welcome you, and we welcome the presence of God. As Pastor said, Pastor Brad said, we've already heard from God. We've seen God. And it is a joy to be here in this place together. We begin a new sermon series today, eight weeks, called Created to Thrive. Think about that title for a moment. It is loaded with the idea that you and I are created to thrive. We are created to thrive in this life. It doesn't mean that life is always going our way. It doesn't mean that, that we are necessarily happy all the time. But it does mean that we understand deeply that God has created us in ways and designed us and made possible for us that we can thrive in the life that we experience. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to explore what it means to thrive, to thrive as people of faith, to thrive as followers of God. And our concept of being created to thrive is founded in two convictions. The first is that God has created us to thrive, that every person desires to thrive. It is the nature of the human being experience to want to thrive. And so in that conviction, we understand that it's innate in us the desire to thrive. Traditional measures of thriving have focused on four different areas. Health, wealth, fertility, and longevity. If you had good health, if you had some measure of wealth, if you had some measure of fertility, sometimes expressed in a number of children or grandchildren or whatever it is, and longevity, if you lived a long life, you were understood as having thrived. But I want to suggest to us this morning that those four measures of thriving are inadequate because they can tend to lead to this understanding that in myself I can thrive and I don't need any participation other than my own. I can be independent and not need anyone or anything and don't need any kind of experience with the Creator. 
The second conviction that we hold is that thriving is best understood when rooted in sound theology. Sound theology. So what do we mean by that? Thriving in Christian theology involves a vibrant and growing connection with God, characterized by faith, trust, and obedience. This relationship brings about a sense of belonging, purpose, and intimacy with our Creator Redeemer. There is a context for thriving within the context of sound theology. On the basis of these two convictions, we want to answer the question, what forms a visionary biblical thriving life and how can we embody it? Thriving is not just a mental exercise, it's an embodied exercise. It gets lived out among us, before us, in us. Visionary purposeful thriving as I've already said, begins with sound theology, but that sound theology begins with a clear understanding of God. Take your worship folder. This is a moment just to do what the pastor tells you to do. Receive guidance from me. Take your worship folder. There's a, inside the left column, there's a place for sermon notes. And so I want you to take a pencil from the pew rack, literature rack, or take a pen from your wife's purse, if you can find it in the bottom. And so I want you to do something here. I want you to write down four things you believe about God. Take a moment. Four things you believe about God. What do you believe about God? Well, if, if you were singing with us, some of what you believe was in the lyrics. We just sang, holy, holy, holy. Four things you believe about God. They don't need to be long statements. Four things you believe about God. I'm not gonna grade these. I'm not even gonna ask you to stand up and read them. Four things you believe about God. hold on to that but think about those four things as part of your theology of God part of what you believe about God those four things are the beginning of your understanding of our understanding of who God is and what God is about and how we interact with God sometimes a theology of God is expressed in formal terms in the Church of the Nazarene, we have the Articles of Faith. Article number one is what we believe about God, and it reads like this. We believe in one eternally existent, infinite God, sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, 
that he only is God, holy in nature, attributes and purpose. The God who is holy love and light is triune and essential being revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a formal definition of a theology of God. Sometimes the theology of God is expressed in attributes, omniscience, omnipresent, omnipotence, etc. Sometimes it's expressed in the language of salvation or in covenant language. Sometimes it is personal salvation or an eschatological language, that which we hope for, that which is not yet but will be. Sometimes our understanding of God is that we speak of hope, and for some of us, we say, Lord, come quickly, and some of us pray, oh, Lord, tarry. Others of us live expectantly for a heavenly home. Some of us are much less focused on heaven and much more focused on being present here. And it might even surprise some of us that some of us aren't necessarily concerned that heaven is part of the deal. But think about that. Some of us think of God in terms of love or think of God as Father, Abba Father, but some of us have had poor images of Father so that doesn't help us when we think about God. Some of us think of God as judgmental or harsh. However you think about God shapes and forms the way you and I interact with God. Is God welcoming? As in Hebrews 4.16, let us come before the throne of God where we might find grace and mercy in our time of need. Or is God, as sometimes depicted in the book of Revelation, so awesomely powerful and fierce, you can't draw close. So how do we think about God? How do we interact with God? How do we seek God? What kind of God is it that we are seeking when we are seeking God? Let's acknowledge that the four things we wrote down about God is not an exhaustive expression of our theology, but serves as a good beginning place for thinking about what it means to be created to thrive. Our text this morning that was read for us is a remarkable passage. It is really one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, because in those 14 verses is nearly everything we need to know about God. In those 14 verses is a really robust theology of God. For in those 14 verses, they set God and Christ in place and time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning really means before the beginning. And our challenge is that we think of time differently than God thinks of time. 
What is time to a God that is eternal, that has no beginning and no end? What is time to someone like you and me who have a beginning and an end? The God who has no beginning and no ending has all the time to be as patient as God wants to be. But those of us who have a beginning and an end, we have a little more impatience because time is different for us. A friend of mine likes to ask the question, how much runway do you have left? What he's really asking is, how much time do you think you have left? Years ago, one of my doctors said to me, you, can't, you cannot believe how many people say to me, if I'd known I was gonna live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Some of you are surprised by how long you've lived. But here we are with this understanding of God that needs to have a theology that recognizes that God's use of time is different than our understanding of time. So the God who is eternal can be patient when we wish God would move things along. Anyone want to testify about that? Anyone here ever wanted God to move things along? But here we are. We are engaged with understanding God is eternal who has a different understanding of time, who also has a different understanding of place. For in this passage, we find that God is in place with Christ before the beginning of time and God moves from that place to this place. This passage of scripture de depicts God as initiating, seeking, and sending. God initiates and sends John, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and John comes and preaches and prepares the way for Jesus. That's the initiative of God. God births Jesus Christ in a manger in Bethlehem. That's an initiative of God. It's also God sending God. We sometimes talk about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as completely separate but they're really not separate, for Jesus is simply God in the flesh. And so here is God in the flesh. God initiates, God sends, because God is seeking. Pastor Brad and I have said this many times over the last two years. God relentlessly pursues us in love. God is relentless about that. If there's anything that Pastor Brad and I wish we all 
could embrace and embody, it would be that awareness that God is relentless about seeking relationship with us. And that's really good news because of God's understanding of time, he can be patient with us because of God's understanding of place, God can find us and pursue us. And here is this God who is creator, redeemer, sustainer, seeking this relationship with us in relentless way. Not stopping, not quitting. And when we pray about the needs of others, we're interceding, say thanks be to God for the God who is relentless about the pursuit of the people of God's creation with love and grace and mercy and who invites us into God's presence where we may find grace and mercy in our time of need. That kind of theology matters in our understanding of God. Because that kind of theology matters when we talk about thriving. Because when I understand that God is relentless in pursuit, God is also relentless in presence. Because this passage also tells us that God is in us, with us, and among us. In us in the Imago Dei. We all carry the Imago Dei of God. God is in us. God is present. It may be latent because by our sin we have kept it down and we have suppressed it. But God keeps coming, pursuing, waiting. I wish we would tell those kinds of stories more than the stories they used to tell when I was growing up in the church. Now, if you leave here tonight and don't find Jesus, you could be hit at the railroad crossing. <laughs> and some evangelist tells a story about something that happened to somebody. What kind of image does that portray of God and does it inspire thriving? It actually inspires an image of a God who is vindictive and who's just waiting to catch you when you step out of line. It's neither gracious nor merciful. Because what does God promise? God promises in John 14, 15, and 16 that the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will teach and guide and convict and judge. That the Holy Spirit is with us as the indwelling presence of God to teach and do those things for us and remind us. When we understand God relentlessly pursuing us in love and grace and mercy, let's rest assured that our salvation is more durable than we have sometimes taught. Oh, you've sinned, so you've lost your salvation. Could I just say, I don't believe that? Now, I probably upset some Nazarenes this morning. But in my theology of God, what I do understand is that when I sin, the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to me 
and correct me and restore me if I confess. I don't believe my salvation was in jeopardy during any of that conversation. There's grace and mercy and love and hope. And in that context, there's a context in which we can thrive. And grow. And have a growing connection with God. And then there is hope. And then there's a future to look forward to. This passage of scripture describes the dwelling place of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's really important to catch here in our understanding of God, our theology of God, that God's dwelling place is among us. That throughout the Old and New Testament, God was seeking a people. The covenant of Israel, the covenant with Israel in the desert was different than most covenants because with the covenant with Israel, God goes not to Moses, but he goes to the people and says, here's what I will do for you, here are my expectation, what do you all say about that? And as a people, they said, we will. We will do these things. You see, our salvation may be personal, but our salvation is also collective. God does forgive my personal sin. But doing that is so that we might all be the people of God. And so we gather and God is among us. God is in us. God is among us and God is with us. Think about what those three designations mean in our theology of God. There is the expectation and the acknowledgement of the presence of God among us. That shapes not only how we interface with God and interact with God, it also shapes how we interface and interact with one another. And so when folks come to worship, guests come to worship, something stirred them to be here. Something gathered them to this place. Something created a spark and a desire for them to be in the presence of God among us. And the recognition that God is among us must create an awareness of the stewardship that we have of God's presence among us. In my five years on the pastoral staff here, as I make my way around the community, one of the most frequent things I hear is, I used to go to Paznaz. 
There are millions of people in L.A. County who used to go to Paznaz. I'm convinced. And if they share, oftentimes it's, well, there was this thing. And we didn't need that, so we left. What I say to us is, friends, the dwelling place of God among us carries with it a profound responsibility to us. And the dwelling place of God among us is greater than whatever personal need one has to have it their way. Are we okay? See, sometimes some of the us lose sight of the dwelling place of God and how we care for the dwelling place of God. And oh God, I want you among us more than I want my own way. Oh God, I want you among us. And so transform my selfish tendencies. Shape my personal opinions so that it honors God. And be in the presence of God who is among us. And then God is with us because in the with us part of God's nature is the sending nature of God. Think about this, God sent God. Sometimes we say, well, God sent Jesus. Well, what did he do when God sent Jesus? God sent God. I hope some of you lay awake tonight and go, I need to think about that a while. God sends God. God sends us. God is among us. God is in us, but God is with us. And God is with us as we go from the us to out there. God sends us just as God sent God. Where does God send us? Let me ask you a question. Where are you going to go when this service is over? Some of you all are going to go to Sunday school classes. Some of you all are going to go to breakfast. Right? But wherever it is that we go after us are done, God goes with us. And the stewardship of God's presence with us becomes ours to steward wherever we're going. Some of us will go home. This afternoon, I'm going to go to Rosamond, California. 
Anybody ever been to Rosamond? Willow Springs Racetrack is there. ACOP is having a drive the car as fast as you can event today. And it's an evangelistic event. It's a fundraiser for them. And so I'm going to go up and hang out with ACOP. And Pastor Mono is going to try and take me around the racetrack and scare the living daylights out of me. But God goes with me. And Pastor Mono. Thank you. Pray for me. I'm like the little kid who's in trouble and his parents taking him out and he says, pray for me. Think about where we go because the presence of God goes with us and we become stewards of the presence of God. And I think that's such a remarkable thing that God is with us, desires to be with us, seeks to be with us, longs to be with us, and to go with us. And that's the biblical pattern of God from beginning Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Because when God goes with us, God goes before us. This passage of scripture divide, describes the mission of God to send the word, to send Christ with glory and truth to redeem the people of the world, which is so beautifully expressed in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Some of you who are English teachers can tell me what the word so is, how it functions in that sentence, but all I think about is if I took the word so out of there, it loses the emphasis. God loved the world, God so loved the world that God sent God into the world. Walter Brueggemann said, the mission of God is dangerous because God's will for the world is in deep tension with the way the world is organized. When God goes with us, God's kingdom goes with us and it is in tension with the ways of the world with the expressions of Babylon as we talked about in our series in Revelation, with the values of Babylon. Our hope is as we talk about created to thrive that we'll also begin to understand that we are created to be discerning. That some of what lures us in the world that sounds like it fits us in the world isn't necessarily part of the kingdom of God and to be discerning.
my great hope is that us, as the dwelling place of God, seeks great discernment as we engage with the world. The beginning of thriving is to welcome, embrace, and embody the presence of God. For some of us, that may mean a new beginning. That may mean, I want the presence of God in my life, and so I come to God and say, God, come. I confess my past has not been pleasing to you, but I come. And so here we are with a new beginning of a relationship with God. For some of us, embracing and embodying this idea of God dwelling among us may mean a new mission for us, a new place to go. For some of us, it may mean God sending. God sending may be as, as close as another room in your house where another person resides. Here's truth. Thriving as God created us to thrive begins with embracing and embodying the God that is in us, with us and among us, and then go where God sends us to go. Otherwise, if we say no to God's sending, then we are saying, we don't want to experience God. Because going where God sends us, going where God's presence is, is the invitation to experience God. I gave you chocolate on the way in this morning. It wasn't to make up for the breakfast you didn't get. This is a C's milk chocolate with almonds candy bar. They're putting it on the screen because you can't see it from where you're seated. This C's milk chocolate with almonds candy bar is over 20 years old. I received this chocolate bar as a gift from the provost of the university early in my tenure there. I was leading fundraising efforts and my team and I had led a successful campaign among the faculty for faculty giving. So one day in faculty meeting, Dr. Patrick Allen to my surprise, invited me to receive one of these because he gave these out to recognize achievements in faculty members' work and lives. I think Pastor Brad said he got a couple of them. They didn't usually give these to staff members. But Dr. Allen gave this to me in recognition of the work we were doing in fundraising and I put it on my shelf. It has sat on my shelf for over 20 years. 
it sat on my shelf to remind me of the work that had been done, of the work that was being done. It now sits on my shelf next to my desk. It's on the left side of my desk, within arm's reach. Do not stop by my desk and steal it. But it is a powerful reminder to me of something that took place. But the problem with it, it just sits there. It sits on the shelf. I've given you a, a piece of chocolate this morning. And I want to encourage you not to eat it. I really want this piece of chocolate to become a reminder that you received it on the opening day of this sermon series and that this piece of chocolate carries expectation with it. So I want you to take it home, overcome your temptation to eat it, but take it home and put it someplace where you can see it. And let it be a reminder, let it be a placeholder, let it be a symbol of the work of God that God will do throughout this sermon series in our lives as God is in us, among us, and with us. And every time you see this, wherever you put it, that you say, thanks be to God. God is with me. God is in me. God is among us. And remember that you received it among us. And let it represent us. And not just you. Now, if you didn't get one of these on the way in, you can get one on the way out. One per person. Uh, those of you that are watching us online this morning, you're welcome to come by the office and pick one up. But let this be a reminder and let it sit there and let it remind you. There is another thing you could use it for. If God sends you to someone or somewhere, take it with you and give it away. Give it away. In recognition that God is going with you. God may send you across the street, down the hallway. God may send you to a new place of service. God may call you into a place where you can experience the presence of God in a new way. But God will go with you and go before you.